2: Hello and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by Tim, a.k.a. Cranjus McBasketball. Hope you all had a great holiday season. Uh, We took a little bit of time off there, which is good. It corresponded with a little bit of a Lakers slide in that losing streak, Tim. But last couple of games, you know, despite some of the losing, we've seen a lot of interesting things from this team. We've obviously seen uh, Trevor Ariza come back for the first time since we potted Stanley Johnson, a ton of LeBron at the five minutes most to good success. Um, Russ Wilden. I don't know. What do you want to, what's struck you in the last like 10 days since we potted?
3: Well, I've been in the always fun, never unpleasant position of being like, Oh no, actually this is good. The, you know, I see good things happening as the Lakers are losing game after game, after game. Uh, I'm I'm really happy that we've got Reeves back. I'm happy. We've got a back. I'm happy. The two way situation or not the two way situation that the, the What's it called? Not the 10 days. I guess 10 days. Yeah, the the hardship stuff has worked out the way it has. The Lakers have moved Rondo. Stanley Johnson is such a fit, and I'm excited to talk about him. Trevor Reese is such a help to this team. I'm excited to talk about him. I'm pumped to, like, finally get some Austin Reeves, like, healthy in shape for, like, just give me, like, two weeks. I just want two weeks. Because um, we just <laughs> haven't been able to see him in the rotation. So, like, there's a lot I'm excited about. I... Had been, have been super vocal on Twitter and really hammering home the point of like the Lakers offense in the month of December has transformed. They went from like really crappy, like bad stuff, occasionally running good things in November to suddenly I think this is like elite process, elite setup. It doesn't look the same way as the Warriors look or the same way the Suns look, it, but it's really good stuff. And I, I'm excited to dig into that some more. But we're finally seeing the – you know, good process plus some degree of talent and, and health and availability equal results. And we're recording this right before the the game against the Timberwolves for which the Lakers are eight point favorites. I think they'll run away with that one. And I see the Lakers set up well now because they've taken that that journey, that processes and, and they put in the work. They didn't cut corners. They didn't say, oh, we're injured. We're going to give up. They've really been, you know, buying in and, and improving and working hard despite not having practice time to being in a prime position to make a run in the standings these next couple of weeks. So that is what I've been seeing and what I'm really excited about. And, you know, we've missed some hot topics in these past like 10 days or so. So yeah. I'm, I'm pumped to talk about stuff we've seen like LeBron at center Stanley Johnson's brand new Trevor Reza, pretty new um, the, the offense has changed so there's there's a lot that has changed and then there's some more you know that the roster can can evolve there might be another move or two in the future and and I want to explore possibilities with that as well
2: you don't want to talk about the uh, the Isaiah Thomas 10-year
3: nope nope we're good <laughs> okay. credit for him credit to him he tried hard it's not 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 for this team. It's we're, we're good. Yeah, we're moving on. Maybe Collison. I can see the pitch for Collison. I understand that. Like, it's not like he's been like playing overseas and like ready to just get his right. chance. He's he'll need more of a ramp up. So that makes sense to me. And there are certain why would you that just do a
2: 10 day? OK, let's let me let me just give, give me a sec here. OK, <laughs> just give me a sec because. Yeah. You're right. Isaiah Thomas coming in. It's like, I wish I could say cool story, bro. When we didn't actually need something he cannot provide. Okay. Let's set that aside. Whatever. Yeah. You, Isaiah, you don't want more
3: guards? Are you sure I don't think got more so. guards over here? I'm
2: okay. I'm okay. Uh, yeah. And the idea is still being that maybe he can actually make a shot where THT hasn't been able to throw a coin in a fountain, you know, over the last month, but he couldn't make shots either. You know, he had one good game. Anyway, I don't want to talk about Isaiah Thomas either. I guess kind of where this gets me to overall with so amazing. Let's get this out of the way. Rondo got traded, and I know it was for basically nothing, but he had a guaranteed contract, and he they got rid of it to get a roster spot, and they got a, a partial guaranteed contract back. Right. So you know, I I don't know what the Cavs are thinking. I guess it was he was free in getting Rondo, but mm-hmm. really like. Okay. Thanks. They've had kind of a weird trade relationship where they've made a few deals over the last few, couple of years, uh, the Lakers and the Cavs, but that's super helpful. Thanks. Uh, we could, you know, save Jeannie that tax money and get Stanley Jensen in on this roster, Tim. Um, but so any thoughts on Rondo leaving?
3: Yeah. If the positions were reversed and this were like the Pelicans who like could just could not afford to pay the, the luxury tax on a minimum fucking contract and we <laughs> finessed them out of like a vet who has like some talent, we would just be like yelling at them about how they're a poverty franchise all day long. And we're on the opposite end of that right now. So like I don't have any problem with it. Like it's a smart move. You're saving yourself some money. Doesn't really do anything from a basketball standpoint, other than open up your roster spot for Stanley Johnson. So I'm good with that. I don't mind it. I'm happy it's taking place. It's just one of many moves we've seen over the past six months that are showing us where this team and where this ownership group is financially. Um, though I don't, I, I, I don't think this on its own is is too much of a big deal. Like, re- really, it was about clearing a spot. They saved money on the way to doing so. I've got no problem with that. I like it. I like the move.
2: Okay. All right. You like that move. That's nice. That's great. Let me talk about this one really quick. So, you know, the NBA is COVID sweeping through the NBA. It's, Mm -hmm. Oh my God, we can't shut down. We got to plow through to Christmas because money, more people.
3: Yeah. Yeah. They're behind the bench. Okay.
2: Let's go. All right. So let's get more unsick people sick and cycle through. I do have a serious question about some of these hardship guys for you, maybe a bit later, but for now, like, okay, you have 10-day contracts you can give out. You can't give those out normally till January. Let's give one to a guy who hasn't played NBA basketball in two and a half seasons. What? Okay. Maybe Jaron Collison can still play in the NBA. I happen to think he probably can. But he's not going to be in 10 fucking days. So what are yeah. we doing, Lakers? What are you doing?
3: <laughs> this is like if I signed up to be like a high school like chemistry teacher or something. And like I haven't done that in a long time. And like I've got they're like, all right, we accept you start in a week and a half. And I have to like really quickly in like 10 days like figure out what the hell I'm doing. Um, it just like it's not it's not really a fair situation for him. I understand that they can well, they would have been able to keep him around longer if more guys got sick, you know, fingers crossed. Um, but now <laughs> they're in a situation, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I know where I know. But like now it they now they've gotta either let him go or like cut somebody else for this guy who you really just don't have a good gauge on where he is. And I don't know. I, I would have there I, I don't know. I don't know if you ever would have taken a spot with South Bay and and you know worked towards something and then we'll sign you. Maybe this was the only way you get to him. Maybe the other options just weren't good. I personally am very curious and and you know, am keeping an eye on other teams for like who is reaching into their feeder pool my, like a uh, minor league team. You know, you've got a minor league staff and a major league staff. They can both be running the same scheme, same principles. Can you pull guys up who have been, you know, they know what Lakers basketball means and bring them to your parent team? Because, you know, it's only for 10 days. It shouldn't be 10 days. Work yourself back into shape. It should be 10 days. Plug and play somebody to do pretty basic stuff. It's not like LeBron's out. It's not like Russ is out. And we've seen the South Bay Lakers group just hold all over the place and and guys on all sorts of different teams even Shondi Brown two-way who was cut is now playing for Atlanta so yeah Yeah. we're like credit credit to South Bay and credit for them to like to, to them for developing guys but I at least in theory would have thought that there might be an opportunity for the Lakers to pull from South Bay just for a really quick you know play a very minor role but know what the hell is going on rather than needing to like learn a playbook and everything so I don't know. I, I'm not, it's not a huge deal, but it's a weird it's position. It's kind of to a big put, deal to
2: me. It's, it's the process deal. of just like, what are you doing?
3: I guess when we saw like what, like an eight or nine minute rotation and like two of the guys resigned like within a week of that game, like it, it, they're not insignificant minutes. I'll say that this isn't Oh well, we need to have a 15th guy. Like, no, there were a bunch of dudes out via injury or COVID. These guys were playing, they're playing 15, 20 minutes for some of these games. You got to be able to like know what's going on. And I'm not saying that they played poorly, but it's just a weird, it's a weird situation. I think Stanley Johnson having spent time with South Bay is kind of what I'm looking at. Kind of like what I'm looking for, where they have that familiarity. He seems to know what he's he doing.
2: Played organized basketball in the last couple of years.
3: Yeah. But with Collison, it's just a, like, what was, what, what did what's you What's the process there? Yes. What was the hope? Cause this is, I think the optimal thing is like, Oh, I see some flash, but he's not close to being fully ramped up. And, now we need to make a decision about somebody else and, and cut them from the team to give him a chance to prove more and more that he's capable of sticking around. So it's it's really betting on something that you're not really sure about yet. It's like you have an offer from one company and you've got a second interview that you've done and you're waiting on that offer and you don't know what's going to happen with that. But you've got that first one on the table and you know that's a known commodity and there's, there's a deadline here involved. So you either, you either need to cut the known commodity – go cut Baysmore or Bradley or DeAndre Jordan or whoever, and and hope that that other unknown pans out and you get that offer and it looks good. Cause otherwise you could just end up screwed and have neither of the two.
2: Yeah. It's I, and again, we've had our eye on Collison. We've talked a lot about him over the last couple of years, years for this ago. team, different <laughs> flirtations, yeah. like two different times. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause it was in the summer as well. There was some, some murmurs, but like I still believe he could probably be a, a useful backup point off of the bench, somebody who can facilitate and hopefully make enough threes. But it's just wild to me that the Lakers thought he was inactive for a game, and I don't know what it was for. It didn't actually get listed. He was that's, just like that's actually pretty one yeah. of your games during your ten day stretch. You're Like nah, we're we're not gonna. And Johnson
3: was starting that same game. Like it, it really shows you the dichotomy of of like the two routes these two guys have gone one of them's worked himself into a starting role at least temporarily and the other one they didn't even decide to you know wear your street clothes so it's it's a tricky situation but tom when you can get guards you got to go get guards guards are like like kickers in fantasy football you can never have enough getting guards
2: and still playing Avery bradley like 30 minutes a game but um so Let's let's talk about Stanley Johnson, because he was the addition that everyone's been talking about. And to me, just the presence, uh, the performance of him over the last week or so is just highlights how poor the team construction was going into the season. And I don't care if Trevor Ariza got an unlucky injury to start the season to see Stanley Johnson, who was on the bubble of the NBA before covid. Right. He was in and out over the last six years, got some shots. He played like not great basketball in Toronto last season, but just seeing the literal size and physical tools that this Lakers team does not have. And I'm not taking anything away from him. I think he's done well in his role. He's physical. He's can move his feet pretty well gets beat laterally a little bit, but he can kind of keep up with Harden and make things hard just by being long and somewhat um, nimble out on the perimeter. There's no one else on this team that that you could describe like that outside of Anthony Davis. And we saw the load put on him when he was on the court, but it's just poor poor team construction to me to see him come in and make such an obvious impact off of the jump, doing just very basic things, just being... His size
3: yeah it it's weird how much better the team looks when the players fit the roles and the roles make sense together it's he doesn't have to be a supremely talented player to raise the entire team's performance just because you're now slotting guys into roles that make sense you've got roles on the court at the same time that make sense offensively defensively and like I'll read off this is stuff that I tweeted out October seventeenth about yeah. you know a raises down here's what you're looking at you should give Stan Johnson a call. We've got, he's, he's an effective, versatile defender that takes on hard matchups. Check. He's a super active defensive playmaker. He's playing passing lanes. He's got an A-minus pickpocket rating right now. He's getting this team into transition, which we love to see. Check. And he's a good enough stationary catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. He's I looked at his I was able to get an eye on his uh, second spectrum data from last season when he was like relocating and kind of moving as he caught and, and then shot the ball from three. He was not good when he was standing still catching and shooting. He was pretty good and he was giving you a little bit better than what you would expect for the shot quality and the Lakers can give him shot quality that he's never had before. So it was one of those And and I've kind of. Over the the years, I've aimed for these kinds of guys where it's for the Lakers, if we can spoon feed you really good shot quality and you could play defense, you make sense. On other teams where you're going to get C, C minus, C plus shot quality on threes, you don't shoot well enough to put up good percentages and in big picture, it's not really worth it. You're a good defender, but offensively, we just can't, we can't justify it for us we're able to get him that shot quality and his defense is a big, nice help that it's just such a good fit. And we've even seen like the athleticism, his ball handling, he's not a great ball handler, but he's a ball handler to some degree for his position. And all of those things together have, have really materialized well. And he's, he's definitely earned himself a spot on the roster and a big part of it's him. Some of it's just that roster construction, like you were saying.
2: Yeah. And, Uh, Yeah, he makes some nice decisions every once in a while. It's a small little playmaking things, not like get a guy a wide open look, but get the ball to the space to keep an advantage and dribble handoff fake or you know he's a ball mover. He's got a good solid IQ, and it's crazy to think he's twenty five years old right now. This is his seventh season, so he started he getting into that role guy, and he had that quote you know I saw on Twitter about just knowing what he's expected to do on this team and how comfortable and how valuable that is to go in, know your job, do it. And he is doing what the Lakers need. And I expect him to stick around. Um, So we're slowly turning this roster, Tim, into something that can be hopefully playoff ready and playoff viable. And one of the paths that the Lakers have gone down with, Their center's not playing well, and with AD being out, it's been LeBron at the five, right? Talked a lot about this, but something I thought was interesting, I was looking up on Clean the Glass, different lineup data with LeBron at the five. So per them, they have 595 total possessions with LeBron at the five for a plus-six differential, 115.5 on offense, 109.5 on defense. So defense isn't great, but the offense is amazing. So they're, you know, able to get the ball up. They're able to score a lot more. Well, Looking into it a little bit further, Tim, you put Russell Westbrook on the court with LeBron and that plus six shoots up to plus 10.4, uh, 119.9 on offense and the same 109.5 on defense. But LeBron without Russ on the court, it goes down to minus 3.5 in differential. So it's really like Russ hasn't played great. We've seen him do a lot of Russ Wilden, as he described it on Twitter, Russ making, you know, missing layups and making wild turnovers. But he is able to push the pace with LeBron, get the ball to LeBron in positions with great timing, um, good decisions, get the blue, you know, the ball in his hand streaking to the baskets where all he has to do is use that head of Steve, go up, get fouled, doing up and under, go through the contact or just get a straight up dunk. Uh, and so I just wanted to point out that it's not just Braun at the five, but it's Russ And another playmaker to take advantage of that speed and that pick and roll to where LeBron can pop and get a three or, you know, they can do an inverted ball screen with Monk who's a two guard and he can get a three. So, and he's been shooting the three well. So I just wanted to bring up LeBron at the five and kind of an unexpected way. I think it might be unlocked with rust there as well.
3: Yeah, I, I like that combo. Either one of them screening for the other makes sense. It opens up different kinds of looks. Both of them are great operating in the short roll. I I, I just really like it. I, I think without the center and having those two together, you can have a much more spaced floor and put these guys in positions to attack, attack downhill, attack from the perimeter, get five out looks or run a dribble handoff game. Or We've seen plenty of possessions where LeBron offensively is given the ball at like the wing and he's able to, for like eight seconds, just kind of stand still, read the floor and watch the other players cut screen for each other. And, you know, if the the shot is there at the basket for a guy curling a screen, easy pass, fuck it. If not, okay, then there's another flare screen or something. And there's stuff going on in a way that allows us to leverage LeBron's p- passing abilities, playmaking ability, with him physically really not having to do anything at all. So that is a great way to make good use of him without it just being, all right, we're going to give the ball to Russ. Bron, you just kind of stand around. Um, So just that synergy and that ability to conserve a bit of Bron's energy, I think is part of the reason we've been able to see him play more minutes and be fine with it. And I just, I really like this combo. And Russ on the other side of it has been, I think he's been pretty good. Like for all that we can say about Russ some of those key areas that we're worried about, he's been working on and he's been getting better at. And some of it's him, some of it's the environment, some of it's the scheme, some of it's the lineups, but in terms of like the percentage of his shots at the rim, that's been on the rise, just climbing and climbing and climbing and climbing game by game by game, just about where his current 10 game average is like 57% of his shots are at the rim, which is higher than any of his past four seasons. Uh, that's that's who you want him to be. He's going to miss some of those. And we saw the one game he missed a bunch of shots at the rim, but he's being more of what he is supposed to be. He's forcing fewer mid-range shots. He's in transition, I think, Playing with more discretion and not just like forcing, not not just playing fast to play fast, but pushing an advantage or if the advantage isn't there, really quickly getting into the offense. So he's been, just want to give him a quick shout out. He's been much better than I think people realize because it's really easy to lock into the, hey, you know, this is bad and it'll never be good. Where in reality, we've seen the Lakers be smart and tweak things and get him to buy in and we're seeing some of those process Signs improve tangibly and, and get to the point where like almost 60% of the shots are at the rim right now. And that is a really good place for him to live. And that means he's doing his job and this, the floor is spaced. And, and I like those two things.
2: And let's be clear too, about what this could mean for a potential playoff, you know, matchup. This is the minutes that you need to fill when Anthony Davis is on the bench. Mm-hmm. So right now, and this is something that I wanted to point out too. Russ at point, Melo at the four, LeBron at the five, plus 8.5 in 308 possessions, 119 on offense, 110.6 on defense. Again, that's a really high number on defense, but the offense is insanely on fire. (laughs) And we can talk about some of the changes I want to ask you about in the offense, what you're seeing on the weak side here in a sec, but what we're talking about long-term is finding value in almost like we were talking before the show about staggering Russ and AD, not about staggering Russ and LeBron. And this is, obviously, you need to unlock the lineups where all three of them are on the court and find that closing lineup that can be your death lineup, that can be your your versatile five. You need two more in there, maybe Ariza, maybe Staley Johnson, I believe Monk has come on. Um, but this is promising as far as being a part of the playoff equation. Don't you think like some LeBron at the five minutes in the playoffs is viable.
3: Yeah, I agree. So I agree with that. I think it'll depend on who the Lakers are playing. Obviously I think when these minutes are happening is important. If they're able to do this against backup centers, there will be much less of a size disadvantage. You're less likely to be facing an elite like post score or rebounder or things like that. So not putting Braun in too many overbearing situations, but, you know, finding those little spots within the rotation timeline where instead of throwing DeAndre Jordan or Dwight out there and being not good and just kind of losing those minutes a little bit, we're, we're winning those minutes, even though the defense is, is maybe not as good as it potentially could be. And, and credits to the Lakers for leaning into that holistic, like big picture, how are we going to do things? It's not like our, we always are going to lean defense no matter what, even if it hurts our offense and hold us back. So I like it. I do think it has a lot of playoff viability, and that'll scale appropriately based on who the Lakers are playing. And we can certainly see situations where it's we get one or two stints a game of LeBron with a bunch of shooting out there able to just match up hunt and go find a weak second unit defender and go pick on him. And and Russ is out there, and they're running ball screens. So it's not just that they, they're they a one-trick pony with this lineup. It's types of lineups with LeBron in this position that allow him to play on ball. They allow him to play off ball. They allow him to f- facilitate. They allow him to pick matchups and then go attack in the post if they want with spacing. They You've got the, the Russ-Bron pick-and-roll game. So there are a lot of good options in a way that makes me feel confident that once we get to the playoffs, it won't be like, oh, well, because this team defended this one thing a certain way, all of a sudden this won't work anymore. So I, I feel good about it. As long as the team isn't just killing this group defensively, it's it's going to perform really well. Offensively, it, it should kick a lot of butt.
2: And Stanley Johnson has already taken quite a bit of a load off of the rim protection uh, in some of the lineups they've been in together. Mm-hmm. Stanley Johnson just great at, you know, cycling between um, when the ball moves to one side of the floor, he kind of moves to be in a better position to help, you know, just wherever the ball is pulled, he's always – Got his guy, you know, good eye on his guy on the weak side, but pulls himself to be in a better position to help. Um, A couple couple things to be worried about for the LeBron, et cetera, lineups, Tim. Again, 595 possessions, 7th percentile offensive rebounding. So they're not getting boards. They're just going to get back. LeBron's not going to get in there, get rebounds. You might not need that a lot when you're shooting 56% as an effective field goal percentage as a team in those lineups, but it's just something to consider, right? You're just going gonna to get one look and get back on defense. Mm-hmm. Second thing, and this is concerning, especially for playoff basketball, Tim, first percentile free throw rate on defense.
3: I was just about to guess that I'm going to guess from a four factor standpoint, <laughs> if you have these groups that are probably smaller spacing the floor, you're hoping for a lower turnover rate and a high effective field goal percentage. Cause you are putting the ball in the right player's hands to facilitate They've got a pretty clear, we're going to run these concepts and go with it, and you're going to get high-quality shots spacing the floor. You're going to get some threes, and you're going to get driving lanes. What you're going to sacrifice is free throw rate potentially because you don't have that inside presence, and you're also going to sacrifice – what's the fourth one? Uh, The offensive rebounds, of course. So I – yeah. It's just stylistically. It's been okay at offensive I, rebounds. I think I defense. could have guessed how that looks. So, as long as they're kicking butt in terms of not turning it over with these groups and getting high effective field goal percentages, like that's where you need to be winning for this to work. If you are doing well with the, the free throws or or the rebounds, that's a bonus, but you're almost signing on to being weaker in those two areas to lean towards the other two with this kind of setup.
2: Yeah. So just something to keep in mind, obviously, like you said, it's going to depend a lot on the team um, because, you know, in the right lineups against the Nuggets, when Jokic is out, sure, you could see that helping, but we're going to look up probably at the top four teams in the West in the first round this year. So you've got the Suns, the Warriors, Jazz, I don't know, Grizzlies. So there's going to be a lot more factored in. Than just uh, whether or not it works, it's whether or not it works against the right matchup too.
3: Hassan Whites is going to be a pain in the ass if, if <laughs> at least, at least in terms of you rebounding say that on the other
2: too. No, like he's yeah, he's,
3: dude, he's found such a good spot for him. They just he, Rudy Gobert light, very light, but Rudy Gobert light in that defense. Um, but the thing is, if Braun's out there at center. What's he gonna do? He's gonna, I guess he's gonna stick on Stanley Johnson or Trevor Reza or somebody who's less of a ball handler that maybe is the least mobile of what the Lakers are throwing out. Even if Braun plays center, doesn't mean the other team center is gonna guard him. But that's okay. If if Hassan Whiteside's stuck in the corner or Rudy Gobert's stuck in the corner guarding Trevor Reza or Stanley Johnson or whoever, you're okay with that. And and you can go to work. It's just on the other end. I, that's at least one team that from a rebounding standpoint, I'd be a little bit worried on on, on defense.
2: I mean, it's somebody you could, you could face if you get to the six seed or the, mm-hmm. you know, the seven seed and yep. they keep playing. Well, it's, yeah. it's possible.
3: Phoenix would be fine. Like their backup picks. Don't scare me it, from like a physically imposing standpoint. Once you get past eight there's not a lot there. Deville
2: did kill us. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
3: That's a good point. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I, forgot about JaVale for a second. I was thinking uh, Saric and uh, is K- Kaminsky still there?
2: Uh, yes, he is. Okay.
3: Yeah, I was thinking of them. No, JaVale, JaVale's gonna do well. Hmm. Alright, well that's two down. Yeah, it's, uh, it's tough. It, yep. Um, it's really, but- if you can get one good stint, I'm going, like, as long as you're winning the minutes, it's fine. Keep going with it. As long as it's not, like, you know, deteriorating LeBron physically, which it does not appear to be doing. I'm good with it as long as it's. Well. I,
2: I am a little worried about that. For what it's worth, mm-hmm. um, him having to kind of physically set screens and and box out and you know, it, he's an amazing human playing amazing basketball right now. But you know, people want to question how he can do this at 37. Uh, well, you know, it, it's a higher risk of breaking down. Honestly, is how yeah. he's doing it.
3: Yeah, it's tough. He's playing a lot of minutes. He's playing more center and. Really, what gives you the same kind of benefits as what this is doing is if you were to instead have, at least offensively, is to have like, I'll, I'll throw him out there because maybe we'll talk about him later. He's someone I've been tweeting about, a uh, Mike Muscala or, or in theory last year a power pa- or a, a Marcus Saul like a stretch big that will space the floor. I mean, whether it's whether it's Mike Muscala or Stanley Johnson out there next to LeBron, the other team center is going to guard that person if they're like a real traditional center. If they don't go small with you, they're gonna stick their least, mo- they're not gonna stick their least mobile guy on LeBron. But at least in that sense, defensively for LeBron, he doesn't have to be, you know, the primary shot blocker and the primary rebounder and the primary like call everything out kind of guy. So I think he's really shown off his defensive IQ and he's communicating really well. And we're seeing screen coverages executed well and switching and all that. But if the Lakers can through some way during the course of the season via trade acquire a stretch big. I think they can see a lot of the same benefits offensively without having to stress LeBron as much defensively.
2: Remember at the beginning of the year when I was like, bold prediction, LeBron's going to make all defensive team. Obviously that was a long shot to begin with, but this is the path. If he could keep continue holding teams to 110 (laughs) defensive rating while he's at center, (laughs) And the national media catches on. We could have a, a whirlwind of of a comeback here, Tim.
3: Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I it's more realistic than it was back then. I think from my perspective, back then I was like, nah, <laughs> there's no way. Um, we'll see about that. I I think it's more LeBron at center is is showing how much value it has, more on the offensive end than the defensive end. But it is it has been really impressive what he's done on the defensive end as well. So credit credit to him for really putting taking on quite a load defensively in a way that he wasn't doing earlier in the year and and i know russ isn't quite doing ad was doing a lot of it and braun has carried some of that load with ad out
2: all right well let's take a quick break and when we come back we'll talk a little trevor reza talk a little lakers offense and maybe some potential roster moves on the horizon
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: All right, coming back in from break, uh, I just, I don't know why I wanted to talk about Trevor raises 58 Minutes but I do is, you know, I, I mean, I know why it's because he's been out for two months and a big part of, you know, if only arguments had on Twitter and, you know, he's, he's looked helpful, not going to lie, but he all looks old. He looks like somebody you can't play for longer than maybe five minutes at a time uh, to really get the best out of him. And maybe you won't need that now that you have Stanley Johnson in there to kind of, you know, tag team that role, but before the Lakers had no guys in this role, Tim, and now they have two ish and, you know, Riza obviously went out with health and safety protocols, but in his 58 minutes, he is five from seven from three. So, you know, problem solved, mission accomplished.
3: It's I'm, it's going to help him that Stanley Johnson's on the team. It, we've been waiting for Reza to get back. We knew he was a good fit. We knew he was something the team needed. But at the same time, in the back of my head, I was like, I don't I don't know if he's going to be able to handle the minutes. We're going to need him to play for this to mm-hmm. work the way it needs to work. So having Johnson as a similar kind of guy in terms of what they're supposed to be doing in terms of their job offensively, defensively, they're close enough that you have some continuity lineup to line up in terms of what they're doing. And in a way that allows the Lakers to kind of slowly ramp Ariza up and not put a huge heavy burden on him as someone who's older and like you said less mobile he's less athletic than Stanley Johnson but we're seeing the floor spacing we're seeing some of the good defensive play he's going to be someone that i think is valued defensively we've talked about this is going to pop off the page a bit less cuz it's more rotating and being where he's supposed to be more so than it is locking like getting in someone's face on ball or like highlight Blocks at the rim or something like that. So I'll need to go rewatch some t- tape on him as he continues to get ramped up and see how that defense looks. But he should be helpful on both ends of the court. And and I'm I have to say that I'm pleased with what we've seen so far from him. Even if it's not, even if it's clear he's like not the same guy that was on the Lakers like a decade ago when he was over here last time. He's he's older. He's less mobile, but he should help.
2: Yeah, I mean, just even in the Anthony Davis's absence, having three guys who can play the four as opposed to only Carmelo Anthony Mm -hmm. it gives you an option to in the right matchups when Carmelo isn't hitting shots is got a really tough matchup or he's you know being targeted in the pick and roll the way we saw in the Grizzlies game you do do not have to play Carmelo Anthony 20-25 minutes in certain games you might start to see more Melo with 13-14-15 minute games and I think that's the right call to be be able to have another option there. Um, Even if it's, you know, breaking up those 48 minutes between, you know, maybe LeBron plays a little with, with Dwight or, you know, Stanley and Trevor and and Mello that doesn't hurt you as much as being forced into this Carmelo at the four lineup, even though, you know, obviously I'm not saying the entire defensive issues are all on him, but it does get to a rhythm where you put a certain lineup out there and he's going to be the first one targeted by an elite pick and roll point guard or, you know, ball handler.
3: Agreed. Yeah. I, I see Ariza interacting with Melo, and how we view Melo and how Melo performs in two key ways. The first is just the minutes. Like there was a stretch of time where, and other guys were injured too, but there was a stretch of time. I think there was like four games where Melo was averaging like 28, 29 minutes per game. And he was just, it was too much. He was gassed. He shouldn't be someone taking on that kind of a load. He is, Poor enough a defender that giving you like 30 minutes of that out of like a Mm 48-minute game is going to be – it's going to be really hard to play good defense. And we saw the Lakers get lit up a few times. And that's just with him in general needing to play more minutes. So scaling that back, giving him some more, you know, uh, more legs for his jump shot, giving – you know, keeping him fresh. Him, Johnson – and Ariza, the three of them, keeping them fresh so when they are in the game, they're performing at a high level is really critical, and then also not needing Melo to play five. You talked about him playing power forward. There have been some minutes where he's played center, and the Lakers have been just obliterated defensively, and allowing Ariza short-term when AD's still out if Dwight and DeAndre aren't playing, if you've got Braun running some center and or maybe a stint of Dwight, being able to have a reza at center rather than Melo, I think is is really it, it helps the defense enough that even though he's a worse shooter offensively, a big picture should still help you out. So that slotting of Carmelo Anthony from a minute standpoint and a roll standpoint it, positionally will be really important. So he's he's helped Melo raise his game as well just by being back
2: yeah we talked about what to look for when he came back with the threes and deflections he's looked okay i think um again in short stretches there's a little bit of stretchery like you know line drive airball to three and it didn't look who has who but, amongst us you know, has yeah right yeah <laughs> sure um so not a ton to talk about with the but he has been playing a little bit um I guess next thing I want to talk about is you've been talking a lot about on on Twitter about the Lakers offense and the way they've been. Tim, they've actually run. There was a whole five screens on one play. I've counted. I even played it again. And it was I'm pretty sure it was a LeBron, Westbrook, THT, Monk, Mello lineup. And it was LeBron at the top of the key, Westbrook kind of in the right wing corner, and then the trio of Mello, THT, and Monk all circling in the three-man game on the weak side. Screen, uh, cut, circle back, you know, get the screen, uh, mm-hmm. you know, flare Gagal. screen for mellow. It's the, that yep. gaggle that you talk about. THT
3: curls the first one. And then among the other two, somebody screens for mellow, just like multiple options with LeBron oh. standing and waiting and, and just basketball in the floor. Yeah.
2: It's crazy. They, I'm just, that's all. I just wanted to say it. They, there's five whole screens that counted, Tim. You'd have been proud of me.
3: I was, I'm, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm very happy about it. The shitty jazz band has been given the same sheet music they and got they a riff. are now a beautiful orchestra. Wow. They um, got a rift. It's dude, it's, it's night and day from what we saw previously. I, in earlier in the year, it was like a lot of ISO just kind of like do whatever kind of basketball with little glimpses of like, Oh, this was a good idea, but we did it once in that game. This was a cool set, but I haven't seen it in a week. Things like that to over the course of December, just building and building and building and the gradual build. It wasn't random hot streaks of, oh, this game was really good. And then that game stunk. And then that game stunk. And like once or twice a week, good results. It was truly building upon itself. And I've been tracking like how many smart action smart concepts have the Lakers been running per half court play, which is subjective to an extent. It is very much me saying, all right, well, like this makes sense. Like a a Dwight Howard, Russell Westbrook, all screen side to side. The defense can go over. I mean, go under, negate that. And not really all that smart a concept, but getting him a high early north south ball screen to get him going downhill. That's a smart concept. So like, that's kind of like the yes, no element of this the Lakers' percentage of – or I guess the the frequency on a per-play basis of these smart concepts went from like 0.4 to 0.5 to 0.6 to 0.7 to now it's in like the 80 or 90% of plays. They're running really good stuff, and it's really helped raise the floor and also the ceiling of this group, and we've just not quite seen it materialize in terms of high point values just given who's been injured, but just, just at a high level, like we're seeing the team – create mismatches super early in possessions or generate advantages with those super early step up ball screens and and other smart concepts. We're seeing them run things that make sense for their personnel. We're seeing them flow from one action to another action. Like earlier in the year, they might have one screen and then, all right, it didn't work 15 seconds left. That's time to ISO. Now we're seeing the team go from one attack to another attack to another attack in a way that pressures the defense constantly. And, Makes it so you can have poor timing or poor execution on the first thing and the in the second thing, but the third thing is going to beat the defense and get us a layup. So that kind of more, you know, it, it, during the middle of the clock and late clock, still having a game plan, I think has been really helpful for this team. And we've seen them handle extra help on post-ups so much better, whether it's help from the strong side or, or from the baseline. We're seeing them cut into the middle of the paint with guys flashing either from the dunker spot or the opposite perimeter whenever there is open space because the defense is sending extra help from the weak side. It's just in pin-in flare screens we're seeing at a higher rate than we've ever seen for this Lakers team under Frank Vogel. It's it's just better stuff. It's really good. It's much more constant. Uh, The Suns game recently was the one game that, like, for three-quarters of that game, it was just not quite there. But other than that game, for the past three, four weeks since the beginning of December, we've seen this team just – Playing really strong basketball. And like to me, I'm like, oh, this should work. This should be elite. It's just the the, the personnel's not there. Now we're finally getting to see it materialize now that we're we have Arisa back, we have Reeves back. And and as they ramp up, as AD gets back, I really think this team can get rolling by the strength of its offense. And with AD back, the defense should be decent enough. That elite offense and good defense should result in a you know a title contending team, I think. And we're not there yet. But the, the foundation is there. The pieces are there. And I, I was able to talk to someone who has access to, like, second spectrum data just through their work. And I I said, like, what has the Lakers – how would you categorize the Lakers' shot quality over time? And they went from, like, really poor, like, really bad stuff in October, November to over the course of December going from bad to slowly getting better to by the end of December being elite and that to me was pretty validating to know that like what I'm seeing, the data is seeing as well. Cause I'm just kind of doing this mental math, but it's, it's there, it's happening. And I'm excited, man, like get this team healthy. And they can be, they can be, I don't, I don't know if I'm ready to say we're a, a title contender, but this is a frisky frisky team that can beat anybody on any day if they're healthy and they're running this good stuff.
2: Okay. A couple quick follow-ups here. Do you think, or do, does the, change in offense at all correlate with David Fisdale's time as interim head coach or were you seeing some of these things before Vogel went out with protocols
3: great question this and then I want to answer the same question with AD being out are two things I've seen floating around Eh, not true myths we we saw this building begin before Vogel went out once he was out it continued to build since he's been back it's still building uh, there is no clear, like, oh, Vogel was gone, so so Fisdale snuck in the really good plays. And that right. doesn't really make sense because he's been the offensive coordinator. So it's – no, my answer is no. it's It's not a – Vogel is the issue and because he was sick for a week, we were able to suddenly transform the offense. Nor is it, hey, AD being out has suddenly made it a much better offense. I think him being out has just coincidentally – been around the same time frame that it started to to grow and improve but we also saw him playing part of the better offense just more in its like I'd say like the first third of its transformation we haven't seen him playing since it's fully gotten to where it is today so once he's back I see him being a clear fit I don't think he was the problem nor will be the problem and and that is another myth I've seen floating around
2: Okay, well, let me unpack that a little bit because I want to just kind of come at it from a different direction. Are you worried when AD comes back that they might fall back into their habits of post-isolations and limited off-ball movement? Um, Like, I'm just saying, like, they know AD is out now and they know they lost, you know, 20 shots a game with 12 of them coming from isolation or whatever and that they have jump-started their weak side offense as a result of that and not it, I know you can't say for sure yet because it hasn't happened but are you at all worried that could happen when ad comes back
3: it's not yeah it's not a zero percent it's not like a hundred percent chance this is going to continue being exactly the way it is like there is a part of me that is worried about this it would be very foolish and we've seen how whether it's attacking from the perimeter or from the post this weak side stuff going on occupies help defense so that Russ can just... If he beats his man, it's a bucket. Instead of him needing to beat his man, face room protection, kick out, someone extend the advantage, kick out, and then someone gets a three. It's beat beat your guy, get a bucket. Or, or beat your guy, there's one rotation, but there can't be a second one because of the off-ball action. That should be hitting home right now. It should be pretty obvious. And if... The Lakers fumble this. I'm going to be really upset and and, and and seeking opportunities to take action because this is that would be quite ridiculous. So I I feel good. I think it'll be fine. I feel pretty good about it. But I'm never going to say that it can't happen because we've seen this team find good stuff and then go away from it in the past.
2: Okay, great. So I'm not. I'm not not worried anymore. Um, (laughs) no, I just wanted to say, you know, that's still just kind of worrying me. It's just how the Lakers have proven. They like trusting their offense to star star basketball sometimes. Um, but we'll see, hopefully they'll see the, the benefits and the, the way it opens the floor up because again, like it, LeBron is able to get to the basket in part because the better, you know, no DJ, no Dwight, but like AD's not spacing the floor either. And Russ isn't spacing the floor. So just seeing him with one less non spacer like makes a world of difference. And that just kind of worries me again. Like they're going to have to play on offense together eventually.
3: Yeah. It's a, it's a saturation thing. It's, it's about how many non-spacers do you have? Cause we've seen the Lakers, whether it be with a big or with a guard or a wing, they'll use Russ, they'll use THT. They'll use Deandre. Dwight, Bradley, Avery, like, like any of those guys, they'll stick them in the dunker spot or they'll have them setting flare screens weak side, or they'll have them being the on ball screener. That's then rolling. Like there are options. It's, really tricky when you have like three of those guys on the court at the same time that's when it's like really difficult to to get something happening so there are workarounds but ideally you want to see the team throw out lineups that make the most sense and and present the fewest obstacles to being able to just be successful doing what you do and uh, one last note on this like if you watch some other teams you watch utah you watch golden state like they're not teams that are going to isolate a bunch. You'll see them running ball screens or off-ball actions. I mean, the Warriors don't run a ton of ball screens, but they're just constantly moving the ball and creating an advantage and extending and all this like beautiful stuff. The Lakers aren't that offense, and I don't want the bar for, hey, this is good or this is bad to be whether or not they're isolating because the Lakers are currently isolating at a pretty high rate, whether it be from the perimeter or the post, but they are doing it with mismatches that they're generating – and they've got strong isolation players attacking in those situations and then they're actively doing things off ball to prevent help defense or exploit help defense. And so if that looks like AD got the ball in the post uh, and and he just, you know, attacked somebody in a post up, that doesn't mean it was a bad play. If it's him attacking a guard and then no one can help from the weak side, like that's a great situation. I'm all for that. It's just a different style of creating those inherent advantages and letting your talent take over more in, an, in a 1v1 situation than for like Golden State where it's a lot of like off-screen stuff. So it, it good, beautiful basketball doesn't need to look or or from a play type standpoint be the same thing. You can still create and exploit advantages with how the Lakers are currently acting. And that's another, I think, misconception you'll see thrown around. is like, oh, well, they're not playing the, you know, this doesn't look the same as those other teams. It doesn't need to in order to be really good. And we're seeing that.
2: That's good. Um, let's close out here with some more transaction watch. Uh, we're getting more and more to that time of the season. Haven't seen, you know, I mean, we did see our first trade. It's not official yet. Browns are to the Cavs, but it will be shortly. Uh, is there what anything else you're seeing on the margins here? And uh please, you know, frame this with how Lakers fans should not be emotional. Um possibly reacquiring Mike Muscala.
3: Yeah, so (laughs) thank you thank you for leading up to this. I think the Lakers should be looking into Jeremy Grant. And the price tag there is likely higher. I think there are some Orlando pieces that make sense for them to be looking into. But the best bargain from my perspective, and actually a, a move they can make while also doing some of those other moves, is talking to OKC, who they've traded with before, Rob Blank has traded with before, to see if they can acquire Kenrich Williams, Kenny Hustle, as he's, as he's referred to and Mike Muscala, who, you know, and we'll, we'll give it a second. We'll let the fans boo on, you know, on the receiving end of this for a second, get it out, you know, yell at Tim, uh, These are guys that make sense. They can both shoot. uh, Believe it or not, (laughs) every year for the past half decade, other than for the short period of time Mike Muscala was with the Lakers, he's been a very, very good three-point shooter. Um, This season is no different. Okay, that
2: just proves the Lakers curse is real and works on him. So
3: just you know, so never, never acquire good shooters or just like no,
2: The, the the majority of which the Lakers curse it affects the shooters. You just don't bring him back. He's not. It's you like can't come back. Yeah,
3: he's like not vaxxed up against it. Like he's susceptible, but others aren't. Or does he have natural immunity to it now because he's had it
2: before? No, it's. It, I mean, again, <laughs> look at Ben McLemore. Ben McLemore proved like two different. Like leaves the Lakers immediately, goes crazy, and random dude goes crazy against the Lakers mm-hmm. in the same game. Yeah, at Staples Center, it's just like. Really? That's the dude that's going to go out? Okay.
3: You have to operate under the assumption that there's no witchcraft or wizardry involved and players suddenly... At the crypt? At the crypt. uh, (laughs) Do whatever rituals you need to do. Mike Muscala makes sense. He's a really good three-point shooter. Like I was referring to earlier, him in lineups allows you to get some of the benefits of LeBron at center without LeBron actually needing to play center. Because really with those groups, it's about offense, not defense. And he fits into that. Um, can space the floor. Has been a very, very, very good three point shooter. On C shot quality, fifty first percentile three point shot quality, and he's putting up like forty three percent three point percentage. So get this guy some better shot quality, and he's going to be just drilling, drain, drilling, draining, whatever you want to say, threes left and right. Um, defensively, he is not elite. He is playable. His uh, defensive field goal percentage versus expectations at the rim ninety six percentile, A plus grade. Um, in terms of his screen defense, he's a above average seventy first percentile among centers. Mobile, like aggressive coverage defender in drop. He's average among bigs, so that's fine. That's playable. And he's someone that is is having a pretty good year and has gold talent badges on his basketball index player profile as a rim protector, microwave, catch and shoot, pick and popper, and box out guru. So I see him fitting in really well. The other guy is Kenny Hustle. He is someone who similarly will add shooting, but then also he adds a key piece of defense that this team is desperately lacking and will need if they want to make any sort of playoff run, and that is off-ball like off-screen chaser defense. We have downgraded from having KCP, who's very good at this, Alex Caruso, Dennis Schroeder was low-key really good at this, Wes Matthews was pretty good at it. We now have like THT, who's okay at it, Monk, Reeves, Avery Bradley. They're fine to below average at this. He grades out as the number one player in the NBA at this skill right now, this season. So even if he's not – even if you don't think he's the number one guy and, you know, the defensive stalwart that is the Oklahoma City Thunder trying to lose games, he is pretty good at this. He's been good at this and i see him coming in as a taller kcp he can be he can play chaser defensively as like a 66 guy that's a lot of positional size that gets you closer to a world where you're having some of that bigger faster stronger stuff where you've got really good size across the board each for each individual position and he'll rebound well especially for his position a minus matchup versatility a vers, uh i'm sorry a minus matchup difficulty a versatility it's just like his playmaking's good, it's better than THT's in our metrics. Um his rebounding's really solid. He helps the team's rebounding. Like in so many ways he fits what the Lakers need offensively and defensively. And if I don't have you convinced yet, Tom, this is the the price that was communicated to me by folks covering OKC having a good feel on on what they're trying to do here. I was told that these guys are so so if OKC were trying to win games, these guys would both be starting for them. Neither of them is neither of them has started a single game. Both of their minutes are somewhat limited, especially Muscala's. And they are kind of upset as a fan base that these guys are playing because they're winning too much because they are positive basketball players. They are not long-term pieces. This is a team that has a gazillion picks, and they are every single off-season in a position where they have to just like cut dudes or try to consolidate picks because they just literally cannot hold them all on the roster. So two players that hurt their tanking this year, which is what they want to be doing and are not long-term pieces should be obtainable. And what was communicated to me was that if the Lakers just throw in salary filler and like, I don't know, DeAndre Jordan, Kent Baysmore and a heavily protected first round pick that should do it. That should get both of these guys, which I think are both win now help the Lakers pieces. And they're both super cheap next year under team control. Uh, Muscala has a team option and Williams, he's non-guaranteed. So if the Lakers decide they want to cut these guys, they're not good. They can do that, and it doesn't hurt the wallet of the Buss family trust. So I see this in every respect, financially, offensively, defensively, asset cost-wise, making a bunch of sense. You can make this trade and then still have Kendrick Nunn, still have THT, still have another future first-round pick, and either keep those or go grab Jeremy Grant for for two or three of those pieces as well. So the Lakers can make multiple trades here. And this to me is just, it's a no brainer one because you have pieces that are then assets for next year. And like, they're just, they're good basketball players. And right now the fit element of what they bring, I think should have a similar impact to what we've seen with Trevor Reason and Stanley Johnson, just at different positions. Because right now this team could use chaser defense. It could use a stretch big and Kendrick, Kendrick Williams if he's switching and he needs to do some sort of like wing stopper type stuff, he's freaking like, what is he, six 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 eight? Like he's able to do that. Um, so that's somebody that I'd love to throw on at Devin Booker. I'd love to throw on at Paul George. I would love to throw on some of these Utah movement shooters. Throw him on Steph Curry or Jordan Poole. Get some size. Get some ability to avoid screens. It it makes a bunch of sense to me. He fits in with switching. It's It makes too much sense, Tom. I love it. I think it needs to happen.
2: Okay. I'm very impassioned pitch. Um, You have, you have a pretty good record with these, you know, they're not all, they can't all be zingers, but I I don't know. It, it feels too good to be true in a lot because they're basically, you know, very low cost. And I can legitimately see, especially Ken Rich Williams, another playoff team actually offering something substantial. um, And like, uh, you know, a low first round pick, something Lakers can't offer anytime soon. Um, and, you know, then OKC okay, so can use that and draft a player or mm-hmm. package that to move up. And it's, you know, it again, it's not crazy that the value you threw out there, could, these guys could be got for. To me, it's just factoring in the rest of the market, it seems, on the lower end of of assets that they could get. But you never know.
3: Maybe. Yeah, we don't know. Kenrich Williams last season was offered... uh, OKC was offered two second-round picks for him. That was the price that they said no to. That was what other teams were willing to offer. I couldn't tell you what other teams might be interested in offering now, but if you go in, I was told either a protected first or like three second-round picks, that should get it done. I think it is you know the onus is on the lakers like you you got to at least try that and if it doesn't work if you get outbid you get outbid but you have some room to maneuver in terms of pick protections if you need to and i think i mean also maybe an added bonus for for okc and this isn't like a high asset or anything but if you make a trade soon they can grab someone like a kent basemore who's out of the rotation for la throw him in play him maybe recoup some of his value on a team that again doesn't want to win so it's not like they need other players to get those minutes, if they can oh, then worry. flip him for Yeah, a... Hey, you're not gonna win. <laughs> you never know. Like in theory, Kent Basemore makes sense. Like space the floor, play good defense. Yeah, try it makes not to foul sense out, the Thunder. And and get then that flip win? him for a second. Get in there. I don't know. Then flip him for a second or something. It, it, like I can see this making sense for both sides. The people what I talk they, to car
2: wash.
0: <laughs>
3: hey, they've done it before. This is this is how they operate.
2: Yeah, but Al Horford wasn't a bad player. And the thought that he was bad, you know, he was overpaid Mm -hmm. and playing next to another center. Like there are other reasons that he didn't maybe have the impact that people thought he should.
3: I'm not saying Ken Bazemore is Al Horford. I'm just saying that he is someone that they can, if they need salary filler, there is some degree of potential. I think you have to agree with me that there is opportunity for them to, you know, flip this house that is Ken Bazemore and get something for it.
2: I, I, I'm I normally no? with you, but okay, you might have okay. gone a little too far. Okay. That, that might be a little too far. That was my cherry but, on
3: top. That's not the the basis of the whole thing, but it's like, hey, you know, while we're at it, see what you could do.
2: Yeah, Moore is, you know, how's your bold prediction looking?
3: Not good. <laughs> not good at all.
2: <laughs> that Bays would have the fourth most minutes, right? Mm. He yeah. might be
3: at like the fourth least at this point. <laughs>
2: Like, yeah, Isaiah Thomas wild. has played more than him recently. It's wild how fast and far he fell out. Um, Tim, that's all I got for this week. We're about to start the Lakers-Timberwolves game here, so hopefully nothing major goes down. Makes this totally obsolete. But, um, yeah, talk to us about uh, the Discord and how people can get in.
3: Uh, Well, so we're going to have more announcements out soon. We're, we're doing an internal... By the, the day this comes out, the... Th- th- 3rd of January, there's going to be a town hall within the server uh, talking about the exciting new avenues that we are exploring, the new content, all sorts of new cool stuff that's going on. After that point in time, we will be having some external communications, including on the podcast, about you know exciting new things going on. So I'm going to you know hold on to that for right now. But in the meantime, you can still, of course, if you are a fan of this, you want to chat more with us, you want to... You know, get involved in the covert covert shenanigans and stuff that we do, and the fun that we have, and watch the games with us. Ask questions, learn, you know, learn, and, and just have a good time. DM Tom or me with a excuse me five star review of the podcast. We have just have the best listeners, and and it really helps support us and get the message out to others. Uh, DM us that you you can now do it on Spotify, so that is a another great avenue to do so. I know that has opened the door for some folks that previously had to like you know, find their sister or their friend or somebody to like do it for them on, on like iTunes or Apple podcast. So if you want to join that community, you are more than welcome to do so. Go do that homework, send it over to us and you are welcome to join. Uh, we also have the Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Uh And yeah, those are the ways to get in. Tom, I've been looking at merch options. We've got a lot of fun stuff uh, coming ahead, but I'm going to just hold on to it for right now. I think on the next pod, we'll, we'll discuss
2: it some more. All right, yeah, appreciate all you guys, and uh, we'll see you all on Twitter and around. Talk to you later.
1: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance.